0: You know, and it was um, scary on the outside, because nobody liked you, you know, and the police would always give you a hard time, and you get, you know, bashed up by teddy boys. And it did the normal kind of things, you know. It was a very difficult life. You know, because you'd have all the punk rockers up the back waiting for you to do Neat, Neat, Neat. And then there'd be the sort of, what I used to call the Vanian Dollies, waiting for us to do Shadow of Love. And so there'd be a shift in the audience, you know, between the front rows, <laughs> depending on what songs we were playing. So,
1: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate twice-weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. thanks as always for hitting play. Now, on this week's show, I've got a great interview with one of the great names of the 70s punk scene. Quite literally a great name, actually. Christopher Miller, better known to the world as the inimitable Rat Scabies from the pioneering group The Damned. Now, there may be other names that come to mind first when you say punk in the 70s, but in terms of being pioneers, The Damned led the way. In 1976, they became the first UK punk band to release a single when New Rose came out. The following year, they were the first UK punk band to release an album, Damned, Damned, Damned. They're also the first UK punk band to tour America too. But other than that, they've also evolved into one of the first goth rock bands as well. Their 80s releases saw a shift in their music that put them at the forefront of that musical genre too. Now, the band's evolution also came about with lineup changes as well. Formed originally with guitarist Brian James and drummer Rat Scabies, those two recruited frontman Dave Vanian and then bassist Captain Sensible, who became the original band for the first two albums. They then split up, which quickly reformed, and then other notable members came and left, including Bryn Merrick, Lou Edmonds, Roman Jugg, and many others, including a short time recording demos and a handful of live appearances with the legend that is Lemmy from Motorhead. Now, the big news last year was that the original four members would be reforming to play a number of live dates across the UK. Now, considering the ill-feeling between a number of the men, it came as a bit of a shock, to say the least. Now, in my interview with Rats we go through the highlights of his career, the stories from the early days of the punk scene with Malcolm McLaren and Sid Vicious, we've got the ill-fated Anarchy in the UK tour, changes to the sound and the the goth movement and how that affected the fans, and all the information behind reforming the original members for this, new tour which has sadly been put back to 2022 there's some cracking tales and in true punk style you may hear him rolling and smoking a cigarette throughout the interview as well so here you go please enjoy my chat with legendary pioneering punk drummer with the damned rat scabies Now, the Damned were the first UK punk band to release a single, the first to release an album, the first to tour America, the first to break up, and then the first to get back together again. Groundbreaking would sum it up nicely. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show a man who kept the beat for this incredible group and is the self-styled drummer, grail hunter and cigar box (laughs) guitar maker. Welcome, Ratscabies from the Damned.
0: Hi, people. How are you doing?
1: We're good, thank you. We're good indeed. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that intro alone, isn't there? But let's start with the end bit. I mean, yeah. the cigar box guitars and, and amps as well, they look fantastic, the ones I've seen. I mean, where did that come from? What got you into that?
0: Um, my son came home with a cigar box that he'd picked up somewhere. I, you know, I think he wanted me to put Rizzler in it or something, but I, <laughs> I looked at it and I just remembered this thing about how people used to make guitars out of them. And I just happened to have a couple of bits of old timber lying around. So I... Um, sat and made one. And it took me about a week, I suppose, of just actually figuring out what to do and how to make it work and what the process was. And it was incredibly therapeutic. It was a lot of fun because, you know, you, you have to kind of put your head in a certain space because I, I was really shit at woodwork and all of that <laughs> sort of thing at school. I didn't really take to it. So I didn't know one end of a screwdriver from another. But then suddenly having this sort of project and thinking, well, if some bloke living in a shack in a swamp can do it, then I must be able to, you know. So, and I enjoyed the whole process a lot. And somebody saw it and said, I've got a couple of cigar boxes. You know, if you make me one, I'll give you the yellow box. And so that's what happened. And then the next one came up and somebody liked it. And then it, it just kind of, um, kept rolling from there i mean if people seem to like them and i you know i found them really good for me
1: <laughs> good stuff
0: and you sell these all over and you get orders from all over the world don't you uh yeah it's not that many it's not like you know it's a job or anything you know i just kind of make them when i'm in the mood or if i find some good boxes or, or a decent piece of timber but yeah you know People all over, you know, from Alaska to, you know, (laughs) Hollywood. (laughs) You know, I've seen quite a few videos and heard a few tracks and stuff that people have done with them. And I've used them myself on my own record. So it's a cross between a hobby and a and uh, therapy.
1: That's what we all need right now, isn't it? Um, now, I've got a question from one of my listeners who's in touch. Uh, it's a Malcolm Ross from Stylebridge. He said that hearing the first album absolutely blew him away by the speed of it all. He says, uh, how did you develop your drumming style? Because there really wasn't anyone else doing what you were doing back then.
0: Um, I just had too much energy, really. You know, it was uh, I was kicked out of bands because I only wanted to play fast tunes and stuff like that. And really, it was just, uh, <laughs> just the person I was, I
1: suppose. And um, then the famous Melody Maker, which has, has made so many bands, hasn't it? You answered to sign a wild young drummer wanted, which is what you're saying you pretty much were back then. It led you to meeting Brian, didn't it? The guitarist and principal songwriter in the band in the early days. And I saw an interview with him, and I think I read an interview with him, actually saying that meeting you was an absolute delight because it was someone that shared his musical ideas. And I'm guessing the feeling was mutual, yeah?
0: Yeah, and it was strange because Brian had a much better musical background than me. Mum was sort of quite limited, really, and but he had all the you know all the Stooges and the MC5 albums, and I think what we really shared was just this attitude for the approach we took to playing music, you know, and that was that was where we kind of gelled. I think was in uh, Ah, here's somebody who plays like I do. <laughs> it's uh. One of those things that's always really difficult to put into words and to explain because, unless you're one of those fortunate people that have that sort of experience and that kind of relationship with another musician, I mean, lots of musicians do, I'm not saying it's a rarity, but unless you have it, it's very difficult to kind of understand how it works, you know. And we were on the same level, kind of musically, we could both play a bit and we were there, but we neither of us were technical or you know neither of us could have joined king crimson or any of those kind of <laughs> bands which was what everybody was doing then so you know we sort of both found a place to get on with it
1: absolutely and you found like-minded people didn't you with uh, with david and captain as well and Although it was loud and fast and raw there was there was still some fantastic musicianship behind it I mean you have obviously listened to, to the early albums um, recently haven't you we'll talk about the reunion tour soon but uh, <laughs> yeah. in terms of the musicianship it is definitely there
0: Yeah it's um it was, it was funny cuz like I was saying you know everything was sort of you know Emerson Lake and Palmer and prog <laughs> rock and yeah technical proficiency so I don't know we just didn't really into that and we didn't really want to either because it had all been done you know that's why we always had a lot more time for the pop charts well i always did i don't know if brian shared it as much as i did but you know like mark Bonin and the Sweet and those kind of bands you know they were they were making great sort of pop records and they kind of played in a very similar way you know it was always very simple it was never kind of overdone So, yeah, I forgot what the real question was anyway.
1: (laughs) That's all right. It was just about the musicianship of the band. Um, uh, Another story that I heard that was quite interesting was that you used to randomly ask people if they'd be singers or if they were any good at singing to join the band. And and one such person you once approached was was a Sid Vicious. Is that
0: true? Yeah, it is. It was... um, There were very few people that had the, the right kind of attitude, you know. And... We weren't really interested in finding anyone that was a singer as such. We wanted somebody that had a personality. There were very, very few people in London at the time. You know, you'd go to a Pistols gig and there'd there'd be maybe 15, 20 spiky haircuts and the rest would be kind of normal public music fans, you know, because... In those days, you didn't really go to see the band. You just went to the, your local pub and they'd have a band on. And if you liked that band, that was good. And if you didn't, it didn't matter, you know, because you could go back the next day. <laughs> so when you used to go and see the Pistols, there'd be, you know, Malcolm and Vivian and, and the usual sort of crowd. But there'd only be a few people that kind of had short hair and plastic trousers and, you know, and stuff. So when somebody like Sid walked in wearing this sort of gold lamé jacket with his spiky hair and the paddle, like it was like, he looks great. You know, let's go and find out who he is. So we would just start talking to people and just figure out if they were up right for doing it. Because it's you know, it's not really about being a good singer. You know, it's about knowing what you are and knowing how you can sing it. You know, if you look at Joe Ramone, Johnny Rotten. Neither of them had voices that you would claim as being great voices, you know, but they had, they were them. They were their personality and they, you know, they knew how they could deliver what they wanted to say. So how did
1: you meet up with David then? Because in the end uh, he became the front man, didn't he? And like you said, he had the personality and the charisma and everything to to carry the group as well.
0: Well, I met Dave through Malcolm McLaren. Um, Malcolm wanted me to do something kind of musical, you know, and put a band together, that was kind of where he was coming from. So I, um, i met Dave r- around, the, uh, Eleanor in Troy's house flat. And, you know, we kind of, um, Malcolm sort of put us together in a band called um, Masters of the Backside. It was called, it was a, um, there was another singer who was also called Dave, <laughs> Dave Zero who was the complete opposite of Davanian. You know, he was like um, blonde, slightly effeminate, a bit chubby. You know, he was kind of, but had this incredible wit about him and sort of sparkle. And so Malcolm's idea was to have these two opposites front in the band. And Chrissy was going to play guitar, but he wanted her disguised as a boy. And she wasn't going to do any singing. And um, I think, yeah, we, I got Captain along to play bass for it. and we never really you know we never did anything. you know maybe four or five rehearsals or something and that was about as far as it went and then I you know I'd sort of uh, decided that you know Brian and I had decided we were going to make a go of a, of a band and then Dave was there the same night at the Pistols gig uh, Sid was there and he walked through the door and Brian said oh wow, he looks really good go and talk to him he's like no I know that guy already you know he's <laughs> <laughs> he does sing so um the rest is history
1: the rest is history and, the, is history. and the, the last of the original lineup to join was captain but you, you obviously already knew him you you two kind of went back a bit further didn't you
0: yeah we were um what did they used to call us what was our technical name but basically we were cleaners at Fairfield Halls porters they used to call us and we were cleaners at Fairfield Halls and I I'd, I'd started working there yeah, that's how I met the captain. And because he, we were similar age and he, you know, we were both in the music and stuff, which was, mm-hmm. you know, which made it easier to be mates. And he, he had a bass and mm-hmm. an amp. And so when we uh, got Dave, you know, Brian and I decided that um, we'd get the captain in because kind of he fitted the bill and he was a mate and he was, you know, an unusual personality.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's one way of putting it I've met him a couple of times myself yeah definitely um just moving then forward I spoke to Steve Diggle from the Buzzcocks and he refers to, to to everybody in the scene as the school of 76 I mean what was what was the scene like for you I mean did it was obviously coming you've you mentioned likes of prog and everything with with the musicianship and over the top and then obviously disco and funk and art stuff was going on what what was the scene what did the scene mean to you then around that time
0: what the punk scene or the music scene
1: uh, the punk scene I mean the, the burgeoning Movement as it is,
0: it was small, there weren't many people, you know, and it it was really driven by Malcolm and and Bernie. You know, they were the catalyst Mm -hmm. for the whole thing. And, um, I think they worked out that if they could have three bands with the same kind of approach and message, then you know, it'd be a movement and therefore that was kind of what they were trying to put together. I mean, I'm not saying none of the other musicians or bands would have ever existed without them because, you know, one of the interesting things about punk is it was actually happening on its own, Mm -hmm. you know, without much involved. You know, like the Saints in Australia, the Stranglers were sort of quite happily working away as the Stranglers, you know, the jam were doing and none of them were really about London. Eddie and the Hot Rods were kind of on the circuit, you know, and it wasn't about... Malcolm but they were the kind of ones that sort of pulled the London scene together if you like and when the Pistols would play those of us that sort of wanted to be enrolled you know it would always go down and see them.
1: What's, what's your memories of then you You mentioned uh, Malcolm and, and things like that and almost I don't want to use the man, word manufactured but it was, it was engineered wasn't it that sort of thing What, what what's your memories of but, kind of.
0: I don't think you, it was engineered because you know you couldn't engineer somebody who wanted to play a guitar or be a drummer or a bass player or a singer, you know, they already wanted to do that. And, you know, I think Malcolm shot was the kind of catalyst on that. But really that wasn't what the scene was to me. You know, it was kind of about you go out and you'd suddenly meet like-minded people
1: yeah.
0: and you could have a laugh. And it was, um, there was a lot of good stories about getting chased down the road and who'd done what and where they'd been. And, <laughs> you know, and it was, um, scary on the outside because nobody liked you, you know and the police would always give you a hard time and you'd get, you know, bashed up by teddy boys and they did the normal <laughs> kind of things, you know, but it was really I think I can safely say nearly everyone in that very early kind of 12 to 20 sort of people that sort of got the ball rolling were ooh, kind of misfits in a way mm. and didn't really belong in the normal you know, scheme of things. All of a sudden, a lot of people that, you know, all kinds of different social backgrounds, problems, issues, et cetera, et cetera, but yeah. all of a sudden had found a kind of like-minded people or people that had experienced the same thing or weren't judgmental about their past or weren't judgmental about the way they were. If somebody thought it was a good idea to wear a bin liner, then that was great, fair play. Yeah. and. Who was anybody else? You know, what right does anybody else have to say no? You can't look that way. You can't behave that way. You can't dress that way. So it was a very creative kind of almost genius, <laughs> in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, um, and we, we talked about Malcolm. I mean, what, what's your memories of now the, the now infamous, ill-fated Anarchy in the UK tour? What 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 was your memories of that now?
0: Well, it was politics really, and money, and it was about you know sustaining the pistols as you know as being malcolm's band and the band i mean to be honest we were only on the tour because the damned had been out working live for quite a while and um Mm -hmm. we'd built up a pretty big you know audience and um they had to have us on the bill to sell tickets it was really as cut and dried as that and then they did the the Grundy Show. Yeah. And um, of course, they didn't need us anymore to do it. So it became, a, you know, let's get rid of the competition. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's one way of putting it, yeah. Um... And then just, just moving forward, we've, we've talked a bit about the punk, the punk and everything like that, we've dwelt on that. But you guys, you made records to please yourselves, didn't you? Obviously, the band members and things changed over many years and things like that, but you veered away from just the, the fast kind of emotional punk. You ushered in a darker scene and there's the Black Album, Strawberries, Phantasmagoria. The band evolved, didn't it?
0: Yeah, we, we were always aware of our harshest critics who used to say that, you know, really we were just a three chord punk band and, you know, that was kind of all we were capable of. But we had a bit of a dilemma as well because we didn't know how the audience would react to a different mm-hmm. kind of musical approach. So we were very lucky that the audience were sort of growing with us, if you like, yeah. and they were ready to move into something, with you know, you know, there was more subtlety, there was more things going on in four chords. <laughs>
1: and is that the secret so, behind the longevity yeah. do you think
0: um the, ev- ev- evolution. the audience going with us certainly but i think once we'd realized that and that really you know we we got over the sort of your know, 15 minutes you know in 1976 77 and then we realized that we could progress and our audience would be sort of kind of okay with that but then the floodgates were open, you know, we could do anything we wanted and uh, and we did. I suppose it was brilliant freedom working in the dam. I don't know if many people know that, but actually when you were in the studio, you we were putting an album together, everybody's idea was valid. Everybody was kind of free to chip in with whatever they wanted to do or, you know, and uh, it was an incredibly open thing. I think that's one of the reasons to make the record sort of different is that it, that isn't the way that most people work. You know, they usually, you know, we never had a damned identity, if you like. You know, like many bands always have a certain sound and a certain look to them, to what they do, and the, the dam never really did that, apart from one of it's just sort of chaotic characters up on stage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you seem to come alive there when you're talking about the, the different, I mean, what what was your favourite era of the band then?
0: Yeah. Um, I, it's really tough because mm. there were so many different kinds of good that were going on like being creative and that was very much the kind of machine gun etiquette yep. kind of era I think And then, but we did apply the same rules when we went on to Phantasmagoria and, and Eloise and that whole kind of thing so we, you know, it's a tough one to say which was the, the, the best bit, you know, because there were a lot of good bits in all of it not always good, but generally speaking. <laughs>
1: and and how do you feel, because I, I speak to different people and you mentioned the name The Damned and you get people coming back going, oh, yeah, the punk band, and then you'll get other people coming back saying Eloise. I mean, there's not many bands that can split people like that.
0: No, it was very difficult live, you know, because you'd have all the kind of yeah. punk rockers up the back waiting for you to do Neat, Neat, Neat. And then there'd be the sort of, what I used to call the Vanian Dollies, you know. <laughs> waiting for us to do Shadow of Love and and so there'd be a shift in the audience, you know, between the front rows, <laughs> depending on what songs we were playing. So it was strange. And I I don't know how many Vanian dollies got into the first album or the earlier stuff because of it. They were exposed to it. And I don't know how many hardcore kind of punk rockers got into Phantasmagoria. But there was a crossover and it was, you know, and I was very grateful for.
1: Absolutely. And then kind of moving forward a little bit there's a lot of recriminations within the group there was there was fallings out and you, you kind of left on bad terms shall we say. Um and then last year when the news broke that the original lineup were reforming for a series of gigs it, it was quite a surprise it was a nice surprise to come out of the blue. I mean, how did that all come about then?
0: It's divinian is okay. uh the, one who really wants to do it, I think. It's funny, you know, you, you go through these sort of things with band members and stuff. You know, what I didn't want was it to be too late, <laughs> just because of some personal mm-hmm. issues that really, you know, didn't seem that big a deal to me. And uh, I didn't want us three of us to be standing around a grave saying we should have done the reunion, you know, it's very unless true. it's mine, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing it was a an all or nothing. All, all four of you agree, or it's not going to happen. Type of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And was there <sighs> what, what was that first meeting like then? When you you all got back in the room for the for the first time, was there any I don't know animosity lingering? Was it all buried the hatchet? We we were all grown up at that point, and that's it. Move on. This this is the bigger. It was bigger growing
0: thing. up really. The first five seconds were a bit uncertain. You know, is he going to hit me? Am I going to hit him? <laughs> but it you know, it was kind of—we all know why we're there. We all know what we what we want to do and what we want to achieve from it. So, you know, it was painfully obvious. You just have to put everything away until this is done, and that's you know, and try and let people know that you're not the person they think you are. We spent so many years sort of touring and and being mates and doing all of that kind of band thing that you know you've got to jog your memory as to what that was and why you know you thought Dovaney was funny or why the captain had an interesting idea about where we should go for lunch or you know the great songs that that he wrote. You know all of those things you have to take back on board because you reject them when you fall out and there's animosity so you kind of have to remind yourself of what it is that you like about those people
1: absolutely um, and then in terms of looking at the, the music you're going to play it's going to be what the first two albums I'm guessing that's going to be on, on the live show is there going to be any surprises big stage show is there any going to be or is it just going to be flat out music
0: oh I'm keeping quiet about that. I have no <laughs> idea what we're going to do <laughs> we um, the captain we were talking about the equipment we were going to use <laughs> You Know because that's quite a big part of it is the sound of the band yeah. from the time today, it's all everything sounds very different. And um, they found Captain his, this bass guitar that he wanted to use, he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's perfect. How much is it? And they said, Oh, it's like 200 quid. And he said, Yeah, get me six. <laughs> <laughs> so he, I think I know what he's got in mind there, and um,
1: they're not going to survive, yeah.
0: So, yeah, i Hopefully, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. It's they said I could have a flamethrower if I wanted one. <laughs> if I wanted to set fire to the drums. So um, but it's uh, it's kinda of weird when you get you know, get to my age and it's like, Do I really wanna act like that? Or if you want to set fire to the drums again? It's the answer's on a postcard.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And um, obviously the tour's been moved back now, isn't it, of COVID reasons and everything else, to, to the start of next year. Um, have you guys, or did you guys get into the studio at any point to, to rehearse or anything like that?
0: Yeah, well, Brian and I put in one rehearsal a few weeks ago, you know, before we heard that it was being moved, And uh, i got to say, a lot of the things that were worrying me about being able to play the songs actually absolutely disappeared. And um, I came out of the rehearsal room, you know, thinking we can do this and we can can do it well, you know, because the last thing any of us wants is to go up and just be a load of old, you know, old farts (laughs) going through the motions or just trying hard but not quite getting there. But yeah, when I came out, it was kind of like, yeah, no, Brian still got it and it it sounded really good I was I, I was absolutely delighted <laughs>
1: good stuff and so when will you head back into the studio as, as a four piece then to, to rehearse properly I know like I said it's not until next year now but have you got any plans of when that's going to happen
0: no but we talking about it we want it to be a longer process we you know we don't want to just go in sort of three days before, before the first show and hope that everything's all right. You know, I yeah. think we need to get it. Used um, to feel like a band. I think if we're going to do it well, I think we have to feel like, like a band does, you know, which means you spend time and drink beer and, <laughs> you know, do all of that fun stuff.
1: And is there any thoughts uh, or talk about maybe an, any new music coming out from the floor of you?
0: No. Brian's um working on his solo album at the moment so he's pretty tied up with that and I'm um, you know I'm very busy with the Sinclair's and uh, the other projects I'm involved with you know 1000 motels and professor and the madman and things like that so i'm I'm kind of you know not sure because we you know we've still only been in a room twice with the us, mm-hmm. so the thing about actually going in to make a record or anything like that is quite a long way down the line I think yeah be good though
1: yeah certainly would be certainly <laughs> would be and you mentioned there quickly you're working on so many other projects you always have so many projects on the go but the Sinclair's had an album out um, last year and you say you're working on one now aren't you
0: yeah yeah literally just before the phone rang I um, yeah it's um you know it is what do you do during lockdown? Well, I would will tell you, you send files to each other and you write songs and you make music just like every other every other musician in this world has been doing. You know, it's uh I think it's gonna be quite strange. I think there's gonna be quite a flood of new music this year.
1: Excellent. Well it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Rat, and uh wish you all the best of luck for the future. Look forward to hearing the new Sinclair's album and uh look forward to seeing you live with with your former bandmates as The Damned.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Take it easy.
1: There you go, the brilliant Rat Scabies. there. He's one of those guys from one of those kind of bands that I could easily have talked to for hours. He's got so many incredible stories that came from that band, but time was limited. And it's at this stage of proceedings that I give you my favourite five songs from the group in question, but as they went from punk to goth and all in between, there's certainly a lot of wide-ranging music to go through. Now, remember, this is my personal choice. It's not a critic selection, just the songs that I like the most. So, here's my top five songs from The Damned, according to Vintage Rock Pod At 5 is the first punk single to be released in the UK 1976, The Pioneer It's typically raw and fast and raucous ending in a cacophony of noise Is she really going out with him? At number 5 is New Rose Number 4 is from their darker output the opening track from their 1985 album Phantasmagoria It's a catchy, dare I say, sing-along number Ooh-ee-oh, indeed At number 4 is Street of Dreams my number three is the closing track on their third album, 1979's Machine Gun Etiquette. Although it's the part two bit that I'm talking about. It was boycotted by BBC Radio 1 for its anarchic lyrics, another reason to like it really. And number three for me is Smash It Up, part two. At number two is the opening track from their debut album. Visceral, loud, raw, as the early punk scene very much was. And number two for me is Neat Neat Neat. And at number one is their first song to break big, reaching number 20 in 1979. It's catchier and less raw than their earlier singles, but just as fast. It also earned the band their first spot on the iconic Top of the Pop TV show. Now my favourite track of theirs, and the number one damned song according to me at Vintage Rock Pod, is Love Song there you go, my favourite five songs from the damned as always I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list where do you agree, disagree, drop me an email vintagerockpod at gmail.com or you can message me on the socials just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter Instagram and YouTube as well give us a like or a follow on there too also check out my website vintagerockpod.com and while you're on there you can join the ever growing list of VRP VIPs who sign up for the once weekly newsletter that gives them all the latest information they find out who's going to be on their future show first you get your chance to put a question to future guests and your chance to win goodies and prizes and stuff like that coming up soon as well so don't miss out on any of the latest news and scoops from vintage rock pod just sign up to become a vrp vip at vintage you can also see more information about my spin-off syndicated radio show on the website as well it's called the vintage rock show i know Very original. It's broadcast on radio stations in Scotland, England and in Spain. It's an hour of top classic rock songs with a few clips of my interviews thrown in for good measure too. Like I said, find out all about that at VintageRockPod.com. Now, don't forget Vintage Rock Pod Side 2 will be out on Friday. It's a magazine style show. It's got various different guests on there. It's full of classic rock content. So far, we've had concert promoters. We've had authors. We've had rock fans. We've had um, other podcasters. There's quizzes in there. We always have the news on there as well. So it really is full of classic rock music stuff just for you. It's the companion piece to this regular show, so don't miss out on it. Anyway, until the next episode, then remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care.